passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting live and on demand for Buffalo, New York, where today is Sunday, January 29th, 2023. It is the day after the WWE Royal Rumble, an event that ended with what some are calling one of the greatest angles of all time. Here to join me and not talk about the content, perhaps at all, well, I'm sure we will refer to it, is Jesse Collings and... Chris Gullo, hello to you both. I assume both of you just got done crying because the angle was so good, right? Like you guys, are, like like everyone were in tears for a long, long time. And it took you, you know, <clears throat> so the, 11 the, hours to compose yourself. The people want, I think we have all seen the post-match angle. And the people want to know, is Jesse Collings ready to acknowledge not only his tribal chief, but that his tribal chief is one of, is the greatest performer of all time. Yeah, I really liked the post-match angle. Okay. Like, okay. I had, you know, I didn't watch it live. I watched it this morning before the show. Yes. Um, I watched the main event and the post-match angle. And, you know, I had heard, you know, some of the very dramatic takes about it. And then, of course, some of the pushback of, it wasn't that good. It, you know, the, the I haven't blah, heard blah. any of that. I mean, I haven't looked deeply. I mean, I, I've been in the, I've been in the depths of I'm of, sure you of, have of the internet, Brandon. You, to find have, you, have you been in the, in the depths of of the AEW freakazoid uh, critical theory meeting? Correct, correct. That's where I've been. <laughs> um, but I watched it. I thought I thought it was really good. I thought that you know Roman Reigns was great in his performance post match. You know, showing a lot of vulnerability, but also showing a lot of arrogance in setting up this thing. And look. They had a huge crowd at the Royal Rumble, and they popped huge for when Sammy turned on Roman. And that's that's pro wrestling storytelling executed well. It makes people, I think, excited to see what's going to happen next. I think that this week for WWE, and assuming Triple H is still pulling the strings, was a really strong week from this regard in that between Raw 30 
in this Royal Rumble show, they obviously had That's a really right. big they yeah, they had a really big audience that normally isn't watching WWE. SmackDown appears to have done a, a massive rating. Well, massive. Mm-hmm. It had done a, a John Cena a John Cena level number. Right. And that's the standard for Roman Reigns, right? Um but I think like the my big takeaway from this past week is from a product standpoint is in the past WWE would have like, oh, it's the Royal Rumble, a lot of casuals are watching. And they would lean on nostalgia and they try to bring back a, a former star or they'd have the Undertaker or Triple H or one of no these rock. guys. No who rock was, on his way apparently. Yeah, they would have these guys who were semi-retired kind of anchor the show and that's the kind of angle that they would shoot. Like Apparently it's the angle that they wanted to do was something with The Rock or something with Steve Austin. Mm-hmm. But both with Raw 30 where they the first whole hour of Raw 30 was basically the bloodline story. And now the Royal Rumble going off the air with this major angle. You took what you felt like was your best angle currently going with wrestlers who are in their prime, relatively speaking. And you executed it and you advertised that as your major thing. Not nostalgia, not something that happened 15 or 20 years ago. Not this, you know, recycled storyline that you're bringing back for the 10 millionth time. They produced something that was original and new. And I feel like that's a lot more exciting, especially when you get like casual fans who maybe only watch a few times a year, they're tuning in. They're like, Oh, this is something new and exciting. It's not nostalgia based. And I think that was really smart. And I think it will get people more excited about WWE, the product over the long term, as opposed to this thing they just watch once a year or twice a year. So we're going to go over a lot of the business numbers and, and so forth. Uh, but first, on Tuesday, we plan to release this at 1 p.m. Eastern time on Tuesday. John Pollock and I will be talking to Abraham Reisman, who is the author of the forthcoming biography on Vince McMahon, Ringmaster. Uh, we haven't recorded that yet, but we'll be recording that soon, and we will release that on Tuesday afternoon. Uh, so look for that in your feeds early this week. Um, if you want to participate today... With a super chat, you can do so. If you're listening live on YouTube, we would be glad to hear your question and or comment. Uh, th- this program is brought to you by WrestleNomics Pitch Black Fizzy Drink. So, so glad that we could have uh, that sponsor here today. As as we will, we don't have the lighting ready yet because we're not we're not uh, we're not quite that quality of broadcast at this point. I don't I don't think Jesse has seen the. Um, the uh, pitch black match with the black lit neon is it, lit. Yes. Is it is it worth my time to watch the match? It, it depends on what your your goals are in life. If you knowing just, knowing me, Brandon, do you think it would enter? It's worth like it would entertain me. Like I would find it like entertaining to watch. Uh, match was not good. That match was not good. Um, and I think we're seeing things. That 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 at least is the cage match consensus. Cage match. Oh, cage match destroyed it. Cage match did not enjoy this match. It's it's a one point eight five on cage match right now. Uh, this pay per view itself, uh, PLE if you will, uh, only a six point five six. Uh, so pretty middle of the road pay per view response for this show. That said, that that main event angle is, you know, getting massive praise. Um, right, and that's not always factored into like the match rating right, for the exactly. main event, like. The main event match itself, I thought, was, you know, fine. It was a WWE-style main event, which is pretty plodding and guys hitting big moves and guys talking in the ring and things like that. And I don't – I think everyone was just kind of waiting for the post-match, which delivered. Yeah. So Peacock Comcast, which is the parent company of NBC Universal, which is the, the, the entity that runs Peacock, 
Comcast had an investor relations earnings call. They had an earnings call on, I don't know if it was Tuesday. It was earlier this week. And they reported an update on what the subscriber count is for Peacock. And their newest count is, they, they round to the nearest million, apparently. It's 20 million paid subscribers. This is U.S. only. Peacock is principally only distributed in the United States. 20 million subscribers. That is up. If you look year over year, go back to, um, I think I actually did this math on, on the Q1 now that I'm looking at this chart. So let, let's, I better bust out the calculator here real quick and uh, check my math. So if I, if I divide 20 divided by 9 minus 1, this is, so it's actually up more than double from Q4 2021. So this is, this arrow is not correct. Anyway, a lot more Peacock subscribers have, have a lot more people have Peacock than have had it, I don't know, a year ago in the last, uh, this is as of Q4, but, you know, I, so I would assume that the reach of the WWE premium live events is larger now. That's probably going to result in larger viewership, and we're probably going to get on November, I'm sorry, on February 2nd, when WWE does its earnings call on Thursday, we're probably going to get more percentage year-over-year increases. No viewership numbers, I would expect. Peacock has been doing some PR graphics for the Premier League broadcast, saying... Uh, they put out a number saying 800,000 viewers is what we did for this one Premier League game. Um, so that gives you some context as far as what Peacock is capable of as far as, uh, you know, an average viewership number. That's their own internal metrics. I don't believe that that's something that, that Nielsen is tracking with the same, uh, you know, methodology that they track traditional TV broadcasts with. But I guess that's, you know, it's certainly in the hundreds of thousands and maybe it's nearly a million people that are watching this um so do you would you say they wrote this in the observer so i'm curious to know like do you think this this past royal rumble would you say this is the most highly viewed uh pay-per-view in ww history from a sheer numbers watching perspective or do you think more people would be watching you said a million i would assume that like the network would have more viewers when they were over one million worldwide for an event That's like true. I mean, W Network, when it was a direct-to-consumer service, peaked at 1.8 million viewers. It peaked at 2 million viewers when you in- include the free subscribers for a, a WrestleMania. You figure not all of them are watching it live, but I think a large percentage, pr- probably a majority, are watching it live. So but so that, that, that was years ago, like 2018. Mm-hmm. Now they said that the most recent WrestleMania is the most watched WrestleMania ever. So... I don't know. Maybe maybe that that's as high as like two million, something like that. Yeah, is I mean, it's it, still- is this is this Royal Rumble going to be the most watched pay per view telecast ever? I doubt. I, I would think WrestleMania of last year would would be maybe ahead of that, just because of the magnitude of the event. Right, now, but I, there. I do are- think this coming WrestleMania will break that again, though. Right, but there's a lot more Peacock subscribers. Yeah, than there used to be. I, I would make. And, and, and when we're talking about like casual fans or people who are only tuning in for an event like the Royal Rumble or WrestleMania, the people who happen to have Peacock for maybe another reason other than WWE are much more likely to tune into it than they would be. Certainly when it was only on pay-per-view when they would have to purchase a pay-per-view and certainly when it was on the WWE network, because they wouldn't sign up for just the WWE network. But if it's on a streaming service that they already have, they'd be more likely to sample the product. And now you have seven more, 7 million more people than you did during quarter one last year who have that access yeah, I, I I guess I think the the new viewers to acquire 
are getting fewer, even if the number is going up higher. You, you know what I mean? Like the proportion that, that, the, that the subscribers are increasing is probably not, it's probably a, a larger proportion than, than the proportion of people who are going to newly watch this con, this W content because W content has now been on Peacock for going on two years here. So the people who most want to watch it, I have had two years to find where to, to go to watch it now. So I think the, the incremental increase is, is going to be a diminishing return, but still an increase, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I, I sent you guys an article from The Athletic, and they actually interviewed Rick Cordello, who's like the director of programming. Yeah, and he Peacock. stated, yeah, Peacock, and he stated that WWE fans or Premier League fans are the most satisfied customers of the Peacock content. So I don't know if they, they, that shows that maybe there's a larger WWE base that subscribed to Peacock than they did the network because there is other options but what does that mean though satisfied like <laughs> they're the most consistent viewers is it a vibe thing where they feel they like said it was a survey them? so i don't know they, they did a, a vibes me- measurement um <laughs> yeah i mean the premier league as a premier league fan i think the premier league coverage on on peacock and the access to all the games is is really outstanding it's it's not perfect but it's a really strong top to bottom service from the content that they have from the, the quality of the studio show and the analysis and the presentation, everything like that is a, that that's a real top notch sports product. Yeah. So just another fact, we'll get on to Royal Rumble stuff in a second, but another fact coming out of the Comcast earnings call is that their uh, cable subscriptions are down 11% year over year. And that in the most recent Q4 versus the Q4 of the prior year down 11%, which is, a little bit worse than than the general trend lately, which has been in the sort of high single digits. So 11% seems especially high for cord cutting here. Um, you just contrast that that year-over-year change of negative of 11% versus this year-over-year change in streaming, which is like you know more than double, going from 9 million subscribers in Q4 of 2021 to, to 20 million subscribers. Um, Obviously, Peacock, that, that's not to say that Peacock is, is repairing and recovering all of this profitability that, that, the, that the pay TV bundle uh, is delivering. It's not. Uh, and Peacock was supposed to be originally profitable by 2024. Uh, that's not on the horizon. They say that their, their peak losses are going to be this year in 2023. Um, but that's, a, that's, that's a, a big thing on the horizon is that how much is streaming going to actually recover the profitability of pay TV. I expect your 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 streaming subscriptions are going to become uh, gradually higher and higher yeah. over time. Um, Big Ten games are coming to Peacock too, so that's going to be a, a motive for them to you know possibly even bump up the price of Peacock. Is that football as well as basketball? I I know it's football. I'm I'm sure basketball is involved with that, but I know it's football. Okay. Is are, is your uh, smoke alarm tweeting at us again? No, it's. I gotta get some WD forty on this chair. Uh, SmackDown. We have the prelim, the fast affiliate rating for Friday's SmackDown, and it's looking like this is going to be a John Cena level rating. Looking like two point six million viewers. Were there preemptions? I think there was a preemption in the Marquette market. Anybody know where the Marquette market is? Chicago. It's going to be Northern Michigan, correct? Upper Michigan. The upper upper peninsula. I heard that there was a hockey game on in Upper Michigan that 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 took precedence over 
the WWE SmackDown with the Bloodline. Uh, so uh, that's the only preemption that I know of, and that sounds like a pretty small market. So there's no reason to think that this isn't the usual discrepancy between the fast affiliate and the final rating, meaning this is probably going to be you know the, the fast affiliate measured at 2.43 million viewers, and there's so there's reason to believe that the final, which is going to be reported on Monday afternoon, is going to be somewhere between four and seven percent higher. So that means that this is probably going to be a two somewhere in the range, give or take a few percent of it, a 2.6 million viewers viewer rating. So that is right in the range of the December 30th John Cena um, rating with uh, John Cena's first match in, in in something like a year and a half. So and that was the highest SmackDown rating since the December 2020 show with the NFL lead-in that is if we if you throw that one away it's the highest rating since since February 28th so uh this is going to be one of the biggest ratings for Smackdown uh in the last couple of years it's it looks like um cage match response I think we kind of went over it already um so this is if you're interested in Google Trends I know this is a big thing for Dave so Google Trends yesterday not, this is on Friday, apparently, uh, but not not for Saturday. If you look at Saturday, which I have up on my on my other screen, there, Royal Rumble isn't on the list for Saturday, but it is on Friday. I, I don't know how to make sense of that, but anyway, it's the number two most searched for topic uh, behind Tyree Nichols, uh, who is killed, uh, who who died after a, a brutal beating from police in Memphis. Uh, that underneath that number two is. The Royal Rumble with one million searches is what Google Trends said. Um, there was a Royal Rumble press conference. Did you guys get a chance to watch the Royal Rumble, Rumble press conference? I did. I only watched Triple H's part. Mm-hmm. Jesse, did you get a, get a chance to, to observe the wrestling media? Sure did, Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, my, my, my takeaways from this were, you know, so they did a bunch of... Uh, Things with talent, and they had Rhea Ripley and Bray Wyatt and Cody and am I forgetting anybody besides Paul Levesque? I thought Cody came off very well and likable. I thought Bray Wyatt came off more likable to me in these in that appearance than he does generally. I think um, outlets like Fightful and Wrestling Inc. were represented. Um, Paul Levesque took like four questions um i mean the 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 most newsworthy thing that he said was that this was by far the biggest live gate in royal rumble history that's that goes back to 1988 right this was he they doubled advertising and sponsorship revenue from their previous royal rumble record um doubled it uh observer has reported that the live gate is seven million we'll get into that in a moment he did comment on the Rock certainly made it sound like The Rock is not going to be at WrestleMania this year. Uh, I just don't think it's in the cards was the key quote that I took away from this. But, um, no, no, no Vince questions, notably. No Stephanie questions. None of that. I think this was a, um, a really good week for WWE from a media perspective. I know, you know we're only a few weeks removed, Brandon, from the incredible story of Vince McMahon bull rushing his way back into the company. And we're only two weeks removed from Vince McMahon settling out of court with Rita Chatterton and her civil suit about 
Vince McMahon committing sexual assault against her. And we're only a few weeks removed from Nick Khan doing that interview with Bill Simmons on the Bill Simmons podcast and referring to Rita Chatterton's outstanding claims of rape on behalf of Vince McMahon as an obstacle for them to overcome. An encumbrance. An encumbrance. And, and, and an obstacle. Challenges and, like, like there are in any company. Yes. Uh, and there was a lot of talk about like, oh, you know, will, will, will fans stop watching WWE because Vince is back or this kind of thing? And I think we were all pretty cynical about it. Ratings are through the roof. All it took was a couple of, you know, a, a nice Raw 30 nostalgia show and the, an execution of the bloodline angle and at Royal Rumble. And now everyone's all back in on WWE. You know, we don't have to think about this morally corrupt company. We don't have to ask hard questions at our presser. We don't have to wonder if Vince McMahon is secretly back in charge or what influence he has on creative or if the company is potentially going to be sold to somebody like the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. We don't have to ask about that. We don't have to wonder about that because oh, Sami Zayn, he finally turned on Roman Reigns. It's the greatest angle in wrestling history. History. Like, ugh, yeah, I can't think about any of that other stuff. It's all about, you know, the moment, the vibes, the spectacle of WWE. You know, nobody does spectacle better than WWE. That's what Triple H said during the press conference. Um, and then to me, you know, it's one of those things that's sad. It's it's when I when I watch the press conference and nobody asked a question about Vince McMahon. Really, I mean, I think one person did ask Cody, like, what's it like working with Triple H versus Vince McMahon or something like that? But nobody asked about Vince McMahon actually having any creative input. input. Nobody asked about, like, the environment of Vince McMahon coming back to work for the company. Nobody asked about a sale, which is kind of crazy because they, they're pretty open about the sale. Like, that's something that I don't think you would get in trouble if you just asked about the sale. So, well, the biggest thing, and Tim B alluded to it in the chat real quick, the biggest thing at wrestling media journalists is a lot of them are afraid to ask the tough question because they'll never be invited again because WWE can do that. There's no governing body. If you're not getting, if you're, if you, if you can't ask the right questions, why do you even care about going there? Like if what's like, if you can't ask the questions that you want to ask and the questions that deserve to be answered, what's the value of you being there in the first place? Much like many of uh, Chris Gullo's rants earlier, earlier in the week. We we are we are up on our, uh, you guys are up on your moral high horse, daring I sure <laughs> am daring to criticize powerful executives like Vince McMahon, Nikon, Triple H, to mainly to to prove that you guys are really good people and everybody else is not. Chris Gull, I think you're even a vegan. I think that's that's true. Um, yeah, yeah. Royal Rumble. They announced on the broadcast fifty one thousand. 338, 51,000 people in attendance. According to the broadcast, um, that seems a little high to me. So WrestleTix, as of yesterday afternoon, WrestleTix hasn't put out a final count yet. So I imagine it's going to be a little bit higher than this, which was their their count in the afternoon of 45,000. 45,275. The Observer reported earlier in the week that the gate is estimated at $7 million. So I I can get to a, a... a reasonable average ticket price based on based on that. Uh, I can get to about $170 average ticket price based on some math uh, around that tickets distributed number. And if, and imagine that's probably a l- that's going to end up a little bit higher for for a WrestleTix report. So that seems believable to me that they did $7 million in ticket sales. To put that in some professional wrestling context, uh, $7 million is more than. The, the Wrestle Kingdom gate of about two million, I believe. It's more than the Full Gear gate of about one million. It's more than the Grand Slam gate of about one million, and it is just a little bit lower than the Clash of the Castle gate of eight million, which we basically know to be a fact based on WWE's most recent earnings report, where they broke out international 
uh, live event revenue, uh, ticket sales, and that was the only international event in that quarter. So <clears throat> this is this is uh, I, I think it's 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 meaningful to point out that as as AEW you know talks about its its accomplishments as far as you know having drawn I believe it's four or five one million dollar gates at this point, which is big for them. You've got WWE doing seven times that in one event. Um, and WrestleMania is already is already they they say their their biggest gate ever. Of course, that's two events versus the one event that is the record holder in WrestleMania 32, the 2016 event. So in a it, it's I guess it's ambiguous on how you want to do the the comparison, but uh, certainly in in terms of a being a single day event, n- neither of those events are coming close to the WrestleMania 32. Um, so, yeah, I, I have this this table up here to show what the what, what I estimate the, the average ticket price was for WrestleMania last year, the two-day event WrestleMania last year, and it looks to be somewhere between $152 and $167. So is that reasonable that, that the average ticket price for Royal Rumble could be $170? Sure, that's, that's reasonable. It's more than what I think is the average ticket price for WrestleMania. But... It, it's not implausible. I know um, the out just as a, from an economic standpoint, and if you want to compare it to WrestleMania, the Alamo Dome is well known for being like the cheapest venue of that size to rent out mm. because it's one of the only active, you know, dome stadiums that doesn't have a professional major professional sports tenant. I think the the, Ed, the old Edward Jones Dome in St. Louis is another one, which WWE, I think, has also run for the Royal Rumble a couple of years ago, if I recall correctly. Um, but, like, if you want to compare that to, like, the WrestleMania gates, those venues are much more expensive, like the AT&T Stadium in Dallas and certainly the SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles, I would imagine, are several times more expensive than renting out the Alamo Dome. So if we're talking about profit, if you can draw that same-sized gate at a building that's much cheaper to rent – and a market that's certainly cheaper to rent than Los Angeles would be. Um, that's another, you know, sign of, of strength. I, I put in a records request um, to the city of San Antonio, which I believe both owns and operates the Alamo Dome. Mm-hmm. And Texas has a fairly strong public records, has fairly strong public records statutes. So we'll see if anything comes of that. That'll, that'll I, take, I assume, take like two weeks for anybody to get back to me if ever. But we'll see if we get, get any information uh, from that. Um, so WrestleMania is currently, according to WrestleTix, at about 55,000 tickets out. 54,000 to 55,000 for each day. Um, they, they announced, WWE announced back on January 9th, a few weeks ago, that they've already surpassed the gate record that was set in 2016 by that WrestleMania. And does that make sense? Well, yeah, it, we get to an average ticket price of about $170 again to for that to be you know, for the math to work out that that surpasses the $17.3 million gate that WrestleMania did in 2016. So does this prove this? These are huge gates. I mean, like seven times Royal Rumble last night did seven times the gate of, for example, AEW's biggest show ever in terms of live gate. Does this tell us anything about the question that everybody wants the answer to? Who's a draw? Does this tell us something about the economic power of wrestling talent in the way that 
if we were looking at, you know, the big event from Toronto in 1986, WrestleMania three from 1987, that Hogan and Hogan drew those numbers. Andre, Andre helped draw that number. Uh, Paul, Paul Orndorff, he doesn't, doesn't get the credit that he deserves as a draw. He helped draw that, that, that big house in Toronto. Um, or is it the case that these tickets were all sold before a single match was announced? Therefore, to some degree, this is completely invalid. Right or wrong? Both. <laughs> um, I think it. this is – well, you, you have another slide coming, so I have a broader point. Uh, I guess what, what I'm going to say is that this doesn't just apply to WWE events, by the mm-hmm. way. Um, here we have – I'm going to go through a gambit real quick. AW Revolution 2019 sold out before a match was announced on December 20th, and the show happened on February 29th, more than two, two months in advance. Uh, Forbidden Door was sold out instantly before any matches were announced. All Out 2021, the, C, the big CM Punk you know, match return show, sold out before CM Punk even returned, before we even knew for sure that CM Punk was going to be back and whether he was going to have a match or not, sold out in July. He came back in August. The Ring of Honor New Japan G1 Supercard sold out before a match was ever announced. A lot of people probably believe that Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks are going to be on that show. They hadn't gone off to start AEW yet. Um, all In, the historic All In show in 2018, sold out before a match was ever announced. So let's take a look at the biggest gates of all time. I guess what, I, what, I, what I'm starting to get at here is that this doesn't, this isn't just the WWE thing, but this is a thing more that is, that is true more generally for the, the pro wrestling ecosystem, if you will. But I hear it applied to dismiss the, the, the drawing power of WWE or WWE talent um, more so. Is, is, it, is it not just the case that this is, this is a way to, to dismiss the drawing power of Roman Reigns because who has main evented four out of the top six or so biggest gates of all time? If we take the top six biggest gates of all time adjusted for inflation, there's one man who has main evented four out of those six. He was on five of those shows. And he's Roman Reigns, who has main evented four WrestleManias that are among the most, the biggest uh, pro wrestling gates of all time. Uh, for, for those listening who can't see it, it's WrestleMania 31 in 2015 with, just for inflation, a $13.5 million gate. WrestleMania 34 in 2018 with a $14.2 million gate. All these numbers are adjusted for inflation. WrestleMania 33 in 2017, $15 million adjusted for inflation. He was on WrestleMania 35 in 2019. He had a mid-card match with Drew McIntyre that did $16.9 million. And the biggest gate of all time, WrestleMania 32, was Triple H with $17.3 million. Um, But all these tickets were sold before anybody knew this was the main event. But isn't there – I guess the, 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 the key question here to ask is like, well, what did people think they were buying? And to what degree is talent worthy of being given credit for those ticket sales despite those ticket sales being made before anybody knew what the matches were? Even though nobody knew what the matches were, people still had something in mind. Clearly, they were motivated to make a purchase what were they motivated by, and to what degree is that related to the talent that they expected to be on the show? And does that tell us anything, perhaps when we're making Hall of Fame votes, does that tell us anything about 
the drawing power of so-and-so, most especially Roman Reigns. Let's be honest here. Uh, to uh, you know, extrapolate the, the argument, right, if we're looking at we're, – we're, so Roman Reigns as a draw as throughout the year has a relatively limited impact – on you know whether or not he's on an episode of Raw SmackDown, whether or not he does a house show and pops the house or things like that. So compared to the rest of the roster, if we want to look at the Roman Reigns WrestleMania gates and all the facts that you just laid out, Brandon, we'd be the argument would kind of be like Roman Reigns is a big, is a particularly strong major event drawing card. And resonates in that way, in a way that he maybe doesn't as a week-to-week ratings card. Like maybe I, Roman Reigns' presence on episode of Raw SmackDown itself is not that um, meaningful to fans. But if he's in a really big, heavily promoted match, he can draw this huge house. I, just to put some other facts on the table here, for what they're worth, which we could debate. When I look at YouTube data, when I look at whose YouTube videos do the biggest numbers. Not that YouTube draws a lot of money, but maybe this is indicative of something. Who, who, whose YouTube videos do the biggest numbers most consistently in WWE? Roman Reigns, if he's not number one, he's very close. Who's, when I look at Google Web Search and Google Trends, which wrestling talent in WWE who's actually there on a regular basis is number one? It's Roman Reigns by a, a pretty wide margin. When I look at whose merchandise items are the top-selling merchandise items on WWE Shop, if that's actually reflective of real sales, it's very often... Roman Reigns in the bloodline. Well, I'd hope so. He's the only person that's been consistently pushed for the last like seven years. So I hope compared to the rest of the roster, he would rank number one in all those categories. So he's only up there because he's pushed in the way that he has been for, for the last five years. In, and, in those categories. And somebody, wouldn't somebody else, if he was really that weak of a draw, wouldn't somebody else be doing better than him? No, he's the only one that's pushed. What, what kind of argument is that? The, um, but what we're talking about here is we're talking about his impact on live attendance and his impact on gates and whether or not I'm and, and so my, the point I'm making here is that he doesn't seem to be a huge draw from attendance wise or ratings wise and hasn't been made. You know, now I actually start to believe that his presence is making a difference because I think this bloodline angle is starting to really take off. But if we want to go back to, you know, 2016, 2017, 2018, you know, where somebody, you know, where he drew some of these huge houses for WrestleMania, his 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 impact on a on a on a gate and his impact on television ratings was not super noticeable, and but so the argument would be that he's in particularly very successful at big shows because the evidence is these huge houses that he's drawn. If we are are, are supposing on the argument that you know that that Roman Reigns is this huge drawing card for WrestleMania and it's hard to deny that when he has, you know, four what is it, four out of the five or five out of the six biggest gates of all time. Um, I think this is a broader symptom of the market changing in the way WWE has approached major events, the aggressiveness WWE has had in running stadium shows, and certainly the aggressiveness across all of entertainment in the escalating cost of tickets. One of the interesting things about this chart here is that the only non WWE events on this chart are new Japan pro wrestling events from the 1990s 
looks like I think three of them at the Tokyo Dome and then the two North Korean shows, which probably deserve a pretty big asterisk. Two two of them sponsored by the Democratic People's Republic of Korea. Right. I mean, realistically, the the Crown Jewel shows and the the Saudi Arabia shows are all number one. But um, but if you look at those. So. So. okay, so the only non modern WWE shows are these Japan shows. And that was because historically wrestling tickets in Japan and wrestling tickets in Tokyo were the most expensive tickets in sports or not not most most expensive tickets in wrestling which is why these big japanese shows still you know obviously adjusted for inflation are still amongst the top 15 10 15 highest drawn shows of all time it took it took a long time and really only recently for the u.s market to catch up to that for wwe's ticket prices to catch up to the prices that were set during new japan's peak period in the mid to late 1990s that's a factor obviously and also, like a lot of businesses, WWE has leaned into servicing its hardcore fan in understanding they have fans that will spend thousands and thousands of dollars on them annually. And that is why you see more stadium shows that's not necessarily drawing fans from the local markets for these WrestleMania shows. It's understanding that you have fans that will fly in to these shows. And I think that's, it's obviously a smart approach, but I think it's an aggressive approach that they didn't fully utilize until about five or six years ago. They could have made WrestleMania two days a long time ago. They could have run stadium shows more frequently than they did. Like the fact that they didn't run a lot of stadium shows during the attitude era. Um, what they, they, it's just really WrestleMania 17. Um, I guess WrestleMania 18 was in, if you call that still, still attitude era, but, you know, the fact that they didn't when they probably could have run 19, more stadium. 19 was in Safeco. Right, WrestleMania. Yeah, and those aren't added to the era shows. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about more like that peak, yeah. you know, Austin Rock period. Right. Granted, Austin Rock were on WrestleMania 19. But you have these um, – I think WWE has leaned into that more. I mean you've seen this happen in other industries. Disney is big on this, right? In the last 10 years, Disney has really understood that they have – a rabid fan base of people who will go to Disney world multiple times per year. And they have this whole economic system set up to service those people. WWE is the exact same way, which is like, I think, you know, that was part of Nick Khan's plan for last year, which is we're going to run a bunch of stadium shows to see if we can continue to get people to fly to events once a year, not just WrestleMania. Now they'll fly to the Royal rumble. Now they'll fly to SummerSlam. Now they'll fly to money in the bank. Well, maybe not that, but they're still – they're trying to see how big of, uh, of a fan base that they can get and how much money they can get from those people, which is a smart strategy. It's led to these big gatehouses, but is it really reflective – Is how much of that is reflective of will they have a huge star in Roman Reigns and everyone wants to see him or how much of that is in the business model? Could John Cena have drawn – but I mean, like they're buying tickets for wrestling matches. They're not buying tickets to see. Like they, if if you advertised a a, rest, a card that I don't know had no matches or had a bunch of wrestlers nobody had heard of, you know, like they're I'm tr- trying to un, 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 unparse, you know, par- parse this this the talents on a draw. But the brand is a draw. Clearly, the talent matters. Like the talent may be a bunch of spokes on the wheel who are more replaceable versus Hogan's era, but they clearly matter to some degree. Oh, they well, they certainly do. I was just going to say, do you, do you think it's the uh, the brand, the belief in the brand equity that makes them acceptable of 
woman race drawer. Oh, we know they're going to give us. It's like the expectation. Like WWE never fails. So they're, you know, they know they see Roman Reigns as a great talent because it's WWE presenting him as a great talent. Like, I mean, you you saw this in years when guys would go to TNA and they just wouldn't get that same type of buzz that they did in WWE. It's like, oh, he's with WWE. He's a star. And I yeah, think there's a you know, there's a seal of approval that comes with WWE and being associated with that branding that makes you come across like a star. And I certainly I think Roman Reigns is star aura. And he, I thought he did a great job last night. And I thought he had that star aura. But he you know he has that star aura because he's been pushed and put on this pedestal compared to all of his peers for the last seven or eight years. It's not just because he's such a dynamic performer. It's because the entire weight of WWE's creative focus is behind every single one of his actions. And there's no real way to replicate that in any other wrestling promotion because WWE has that brand awareness and has that monopoly on the imaginations of fans in a lot of cases. So yeah, I understand the argument, Brandon, that you're making, which is that to some degree, the wrestling talent does matter in that the fact that we're, people know, you know, maybe they're buying tickets before the show is announced, but they know that they're going to be getting Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins and Becky Lynch and, and all these other names. And if it was just a, a true mystery box of a card, if it's WrestleMania, nobody knows who's going to be in the main event. It could be Roman Reigns. It could be uh, Tony Mudd. Like it could be any of these people. <laughs> It could be it could be anyone. That's obviously not the case. People are buying WrestleMania tickets because they think that Roman Reigns will be there. They think that, you know, Seth Rollins will be there. They'll think Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn and, and, and probably some, you know, they, maybe Undertaker makes an appearance. Maybe The Rock or Steve Austin is there. I mean, Steve Austin was there last year and he antiquated himself pretty well. So, you know, maybe he will uh you know, pop up again this year. We don't know that. Like, so I definitely think there's some value in saying that like, yeah, there's trust in the brand and there's trust in the roster that WrestleMania is going to be a show worthy of my time. Uh, so it's not completely to be dismissive of the f- impact that talent has individually. I, I, on Gates. I, I think when it comes to Reigns and to a lesser extent, his predecessor, John Cena, there's, there's an opportunity cost in how they were promoted. I think there's, I am I am open to an argument. And I don't know if I'm making the argument, but I'm I'm open to an argument that they are that Cena and to a greater extent Reigns are they 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 were a means to create a lot of good economics, um, but there was a great opportunity cost in the way that they were pushed at the expense of getting other talent over who could have also contributed to a to a greater net economic value, um, and I think. I don't know. I, I, th- I think it's complicated. And I think, think Roman Reigns is, is, is within wrestling discourse is often the victim of criticism that more rightly at least goes to Vince McMahon for his choices and how he chose to promote Roman Reigns. What does that say for – okay, so, so taking that into account, what does that say for how big of a star, how big of a draw is Roman Reigns? Um Maybe he's in some ways comparable to somebody like Bob Backlund, where you can make the argument that anybody could have been in Bob Backlund's spot. They would have drawn just as well. And it took Bob Backlund a long time to, for example, get into the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I think I think if the, maybe others could have done similarly as well as, as Reigns, but I think you could say that about 
a lot of people in almost any walk of life in a lot of different endeavors, not, you know, beyond wrestling, you know, if, if so-and-so was allowed to, if, uh, uncle Rico was, was, was allowed to, to start at quarterback, he would have won state. Um, <laughs> but there's, you know, he can throw a football over the mountains, over the mountains he can. Um, but like, you know, it's, it's, it's ultimately this, you know, sort of argument about, you know, about opportunity and, and the tension that that has with actual results, which. Well, how about this is just a very, very, very small sample size and more of a theory than anything backed up by evidence. But on Raw on Monday, the Raw 30 show that you knew that you were going to have a big audience. They spend the first hour just hammering home the bloodline angle. Long segment, trial of Sammy Zayn. Didn't really make any sense, but got over with the fans and people enjoyed it. And then you had the match and everything like that. You put this, you put an angle that you feel like is hot and your best thing. You put it out there for the 2.8 million viewers who were tuning in to watch. There's Uncle Rico right now. Uh, and then we look at this. So, so that happens, right? You get this big audience and they're consuming the the bloodline they're consuming this thing and then what happens on smackdown this week looks like they did a really really good rating yeah. why no, is no john that cena there no yeah why is that they didn't no really Hulk have Hogan, it, was, no it was a very ho-hum episode of smackdown there wasn't really a ton promoted for it right could it be that because some people tuned into raw 30 and they saw this roman reigns and Sami Zayn angle and they said oh this is pretty good like you know maybe i'll, I'll check out smackdown this week see if they follow up on it and whatever happened there didn't translate to NXT, and maybe that just makes sense because the NXT talent is completely different. Yeah, and are the people who are sampling Raw thirty, the first Raw they watched, one the first Raw they watched in a year, are they even aware of NXT? But they're probably aware of SmackDown. Uh, uh, and the point I'm making, commentators are aware of NXT. And the point I'm making here is is that's that's pretty unusual. Usually we see these nostalgia shows; they do a big number, and then next week they're right back to normal. Um, that wasn't the case, at least from this transition from Raw to SmackDown. And is it partially because for the first time in a long time, WWE focused on current talent and focused on, you know, trying to create a new star, at least in this case in Sami Zayn and to like a lesser extent, the Usos and Solo Sokoa. But they they actually focused on contemporary stars and are pushing a current angle. And that was front and center as opposed to a DX reunion or something like that. And, and, and so – I see positives coming from that end, and that's something that they haven't done for the last several years. And you talk about like the cost of opportunity, not just with Roman Reigns, but also this insistence on focusing on the past instead of building towards the future or focusing on current talent and how that has had a negative impact on the company's popularity. Okay. I, so I, I, I hear the, the, the rating when, – when W's ratings – when W does a big rating like they did on Monday, and I hear the narrative that – they did this big rating, and and people who usually don't check out the show checked it out, and then the next next week the rating went right back to normal. I think that's a that's an argument that is that is enforced often against WWE, and it's also sometimes enforced against AEW. And I think it's this, it's the same argument that's not a particular it does it's not a particularly strong argument in my view. It's like saying that hey look remember on October second two thousand nineteen when when AEW Dynamite was ac- actually watched by one point four million viewers, all those I can I can make the the same thin narrative that says, hey, all those people checked it out, and guess what happened the next week and the week after that? A fraction of them tuned out and never came back. And I can say the same argument about when uh, Rampage had its second show ever and CM Punk made his debut, and all those people who usually don't check out the product checked it out, and guess what? The ratings went down. And that proves my intuition 
purportedly that look they checked it out and that product that i just happen to also have some problems with <laughs> that product turned people off and and it's the same sort of psychology just with a com- just with a completely different taste of wrestling installed into it and i think that that it what so here's the thing though those arguments just don't account for the way that people consume media today which is to say people talk as if okay the, the number was 2.344 million viewers they talk as if all those people watched the whole show and they they discreetly watched it and then didn't watch it what actually happened is more people watched it, yes, and more people probably watched a greater percentage of the show than they do normally. What we're, what we're actually looking at is a number that is the average minute viewership of a three-hour program or a two-hour program or a one-hour program, and we talk about it as, as if it is this very simple wholesale binary thing, which it is more complicated than. And it doesn't account for the way that people of different ages, especially younger ages, tend to watch wrestling more occasionally and more they, they will watch it live if, if it is something important seemingly and what do we see when we see a big number like this go up it's 18 to 34 that's up not eight, not p50 plus okay Any, anything else to add there uh, okay what else do we have here if you if you want to contribute your own thoughts feel free to add a super chat which we will handle by the end of the program today um an update on what what we may call the Luchasaurus mask lawsuit. Um, if you did, if you didn't see the report, we uh, talked about it on Thursday, and, and I have a report that is free for everybody and ad free on WrestleOnics.com. An organization called Composite Effects LLC, or CFX for short, which is a mask designer among other things that they do, uh, they made a mask for Luchasaurus, uh, which they claim to be a copyrighted work. Luchasaurus was allowed to use it in their view on live events. Uh, he was not allowed to use it in their view in merchandise. So composite effects LLC is suing AEW and Austin Madison. Austin Madison is, is the real name of the performer who performs as Luchasaurus. Uh, a clarification. Well, let's see here. Here, here's the actual work that they're claiming is a, is a copyrighted work, which they call the Viper silicon mask, silicone mask. Um, and we had a, a question that Gullo brought up last Thursday. Wait a minute. Wasn't Luchasaurus also on Lucha Underground? Wasn't Luchasaurus also in Ring of Honor? How come Lucha Underground isn't being sued? How come Ring of Honor isn't being sued? The issue here uh, that Composite Effects is getting at in their legal complaint is that this is about merchandising more than anything else. This is about the fact that Luchasaurus and that mask are being marketed in T-shirts, in action figures, in COVID masks even. And that, that is an infringement on their copyrighted work, they say. So that's what's happening there. I don't know if I have more to add to that. but And, and by the way, this is a different mask, apparently, that he's using in Lucha Underground. Um, we have an image of it up on the screen here. It, it, it's noticeably a, noticeably a different mask, and if you actually look at the complaint, it says that Manelson worked with CFX in December t- 2016. December 2016 to create that mask that is at issue in this lawsuit that that presumably Luchasaurus is wearing in AEW. His appearances in Lucha Underground were all earlier in the year in 2016, which means they were taped even earlier than that, because as we know, the Lucha Underground tapings would happen well in advance of when those episodes would actually air. So this is probably a very different mask, and I don't know this is a mask that was even created by Composite Effects LLC. Um, and the issue with Ring of Honor is at a minimum that he just 
that that mask was not merchandised by Ring of Honor, apparently. How would you compare this? How would you compare this lawsuit to the Randy Orton tattoo lawsuit? Yes, so I don't know that the that I didn't follow the the Randy Orton lawsuit as closely as I'm following the the only document that we have for this so far. But um, I don't think that the tattoos were claimed to be copyrighted works, which is what they're claiming here. Is is the mask is a copyrighted work? Right. The, the argument was the tattoos are licensed. I thought that the argument was that they were licensed artwork and that it was appearing in this video game, uh, and he, they were not being compensated for it. I'm not sure what the what the whole argument is, but it's it's yeah, it's it's interesting. It's which that. is a slip, which is a pretty like slippery slope lawsuit in the sense that many athletes and famous people appear in video games with tattoos. And if we have to compensate the tattoo work of every yeah. tattoo artist who has done this work, there's probably going to be no tattooed athletes. And uh, the latest that I've games. heard, and I, I think there are still filings being put out for that lawsuit. But the latest that I heard was that they, there was a settlement, but it was a, a pretty small amount of money. It was like in the tens of thousands of dollars, mm-hmm. which at this point, um, I'm sure a lot more has been spent on, on legal fees. So, yeah. Um, I don't think that Luchasaurus, just to repeat what we said on Thursday, I don't think that Luchasaurus is out, is off of TV because of this. I wouldn't expect, I saw people on Twitter responding to the story saying, oh my God, he's going to, they're going to take the mask off of him because of this. Um, I don't know anything, but I doubt that that's going to happen because this, AEW clearly knew that this was an issue according to the, to the emails that are a part of this complaint. AEW knew that this was something that had to be addressed to some extent while Luchasaurus was appearing on TV, going back to 2021 at least, um, that's when they had this other mask produced that they did buy the rights to, but then ended up not using. So AEW has been at least aware of this, apparently, for quite some time while Luchasaurus has been on TV. I believe that he is injured right now and that this legal issue is not related to why he's off TV right now. So if you're a big fan of Luchasaurus's mask, I wouldn't expect his mask to suddenly disappear. I suppose he could start to wear a new mask as a result of this, but it, maybe it's just more likely that this thing gets settled to, in some fashion. He was uh, he was also just kind of written. I think he had his big blow-off match with Jack Perry. And we've seen in AEW, that can happen to guys, certainly like monster-style wrestlers who Tony Khan doesn't like to beat that often, that they can be off television for a long period of time. Yeah. Um, plug for the WrestleNomics Patreon, patreon.com slash WrestleNomics, where you get the TV reports nearly every day. We just had, in fact, the other day, uh, yesterday, I reported on New Japan viewership, Impact viewership, which we're going to talk about in a moment. Um, if you want the WoW ratings, that's where you get them, is the WrestleNomics Patreon, as well as quarter, quarter hours for WWE shows and AEW shows, access to all the big data, access to the slides that we're using right now, uh, and things of that nature at patreon.com slash WrestleNomics. Um, the Wrestle Kingdom airings on Axis TV for New Japan for a couple weeks here did at least bigger demo numbers than Impact did at a more favorable time slot. Of course, Impact airs on Axis TV 8 to 10. 8 to 10. I mean, this is a network that's only in about half the cable homes, so you keep that into consideration when we're talking about these viewership numbers. But but Impact uh, in the year now that New Japan has been you know uh, uh, joining Impact in this block from 8 to 11... Impact has always had higher viewership than New Japan, uh, except for January 12th, where they had the same viewership as Kenny Omega and Will Ospreay had their match that was aired uh, on on Access TV that night. Had the same 
total viewership. Um, you, you, you can't see the difference in the demo rating here, but if you if you broke it out into viewers, New Japan did beat Impact in the demo. The following week, New Japan did beat Impact in the demo again by a slim margin, um, but had closer. You know, had not equal, but but had pretty good TV viewership in terms of uh, seventy nine thousand viewers this week. Uh, so last week, the first week was Omega and Osprey. The second week was Kazuchika Okada and Jay White from Wrestle Kingdom. The third week, again from Wrestle Kingdom, it was it was Keiji Muto's big match, his last match for New Japan. But it only did 51,000 viewers versus Impact, which did 93. So we're back to normal is the moral of the story here. The New Japan, Kijimoto could not keep the streak alive. I thought um, the most recent episode also had the um, the Sasha Banks oh, segment. It? Oh, Yeah. Don't don't tell Sasha fans that. Because the Kijimoto thing wasn't an hour long. Okay. Like – that was an hour long match, so there was other stuff I didn't, on the I show. I did not see the see the episode. I but I, I think they that. had the. I'm pretty sure they had the woman the Stardom title match. Okay. Um, and then the, obviously the Mercedes Monet debut. Okay. Um, I mean, I think it, the the recent weeks have been reflective of New Japan getting a little bit more buzz back in the American market. Obviously, coming off a of Wrestle Kingdom with the Kenny Omega Will Osprey match and the Mercedes Monet debut kind of put them back in mind. So it's not surprising to see the viewership bump up, especially when they were airing stuff like the Will Ospreay and Okada match. It'll be interesting to see if they can continue to at least be competitive with impact. Um, if we're using that as a standard, um, it's unclear like if that is access happy with the new Japan numbers. They uh, renewed uh, new Japan recently. So I, I imagine that it was like a one year deal. And in the last few weeks, they announced that they have been renewed. Is New Japan still on the Roku channel? No, I was just going to ask that, yeah. All, all, all the people who, who watch New Japan on Roku, I'm, I'm surprised we're not hearing about it. Um, I, I would expect so, but yeah, somebody could pull up Roku real quick and take a look. Um, but those are the line charts. Um, I guess in terms of year over year, we're, we're going to... New Japan is going to be down year over year at the moment, 65 to 77. Uh, from from January of last year, and I think that's against reruns when they were airing episodes that had already aired previously on Access. Anyway, that that's New Japan. Um, I did some quick analysis on the WWE NIL program. They announced the third class of NIL recruits, so we're up to forty six NIL recruits. These are college athletes who WWE is signing to some sort of contract. And they may or may not end up training in the performance center to become WWE superstars someday. And I just wanted to, to look at what sports are they recruiting from here? And for men, it's mostly football. 14 out of the 25 men that they've recruited to the NIL program are football players. Five of them are in track and field. Five of them are in wrestling. And one of them is in both football and basketball. Um, for, for women, it is more assorted. We've got seven track and field athletes, five basketball players, two volleyball players, and then a handful of other sports, including, you know, they got one recruit for the following wrestling, tennis, so softball, soccer, and cheer and dance. So I guess it's not that surprising, but it's interesting to look at, oh, they are really focusing on football players, um, in, um among the men. They want big guys, Brandon. Oh, I love it when people are tall and the average height. I did the average height of the NIL recruits for men. Your average height is six foot four. 
The average height for women is five foot seven. Uh, they have as people as tall as seven feet, as tall as six foot two for women, but nobody under the height of eight of five foot eleven for men. Nobody under five foot three for women. So we're going back to we're going back to those take take care of the short demographic. But we're going to get some tall people in here who can. Who's the most? Who would you say is the most over wrestler right now on WWE's roster? Just like the guy who the fans are into the most. What do you mean by by on the roster? The full time active wrestler. Right now, who'd you say like is the fans are the most into? They're excited to see them when they come out. Gets the biggest pop. Whatever. I I think Reigns. But All right. Besides Roman Reigns. Right. Sami Zayn's. I'm assuming because look at this the stat. I'm Sami Zayn's. He's got he's got to be what like six 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 seven. He's not short, right? He's he is. He might lighter, he might be like weight. six six. Feet. I think he's right at six feet. Yeah. Hmm. According to Google and probably Wikipedia, his height is six foot one. Yeah. So I mean, that sounds all right. Minimum height here for the NIL recruits. He's not a short man. Yeah, I guess that's true. Um, Are any of the NIL recruits? So so the NIL, like, as you described, it's WWE is sponsoring these athletes who are current college athletes. WWE is paying them to be endorsed WWE and to kind of sponsor. The, the the idea is to for them to consider WWE after they finish their athletic endeavors. Yes. Do you do we know have anyone that they have signed to these NIL deals have have any have some of them actually you know formally started training at the performance center? I, I was thinking about that. So the NIL program was first they, they announced their first class of recruits in December of 2021. Mm-hmm. So some of those athletes have graduated from college. Right I did now. not look into that, but that was a question that briefly crossed my mind. Um, but I don't know. I, I don't. I don't believe any NIL recruits have started training, as far as I know. I haven't heard about about that. <laughs> yeah, you would think that might be like you would think that would be at least somewhat publicly presented, which is like. And, oh, and our I first... don't know what you know what what grade or what class or did, have they recruited seniors already who are done with college mm-hmm. at this point? I don't know. Yeah, December. I, I would think if they started by twenty. I would think if they started by 2021, by 2023, someone would have been graduated by now. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I, I just that did cross my mind to be like, hey, where where's the output here? Gable Stevenson is one, obviously, and he's mm-hmm. been training, I think, but he hasn't had any matches, obviously. Did a yeah, milk kind of radio, sil- radio silent on uh, what's going wow. on there. Well, his brother, was his brother an NIL recruit, though, or is he just signed after he graduated from college? I don't think he was an NIL recruit. Right, because he's been, he's been, you know, on television and, and wrestled and things like that. They have, um, I mean, it's one of those things that's like, we talk about the NIL recruit and WWE would certainly like people to think it's like this, a magical new idea, but they've been since the, for, for, for generations, they've been recruiting big college football players to wrestle for them. Some of their biggest stars have been that. Roman Reigns. Yeah. And if, yeah, you look at the roster. Aaron now, Corbin. You, look, you look at the NXT and, you know, right now, like who's on NXT television? A lot of those people are former college athletes and football players. They maybe weren't part of the NIL deal, but they're, you know, they're, it's the same idea. It's they're going out on breaking. They're going out and recruiting Brock people. Lesnar. I mean, John Cena, college football. I mean, college college football players are, are West Texas State. All, all Steve, that class, all the alumni. Steve Austin played the, the, the Rock. Yeah, I think Mick Foley was the only one that didn't play football. But he was an amateur yeah. wrestler, I think. The Undertaker was a basketball player, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Kane was also a basketball player. Kevin Nash. Uh, Triple H didn't do Body anything. Bodybuilder. Bodybuilder. Yeah. 
There's no bodybuilding. And Triple H and Kenta Kobashi, two, two, two guys who came into wrestling after doing bodybuilding. No sports. Mm-hmm. There's, I heard Hulk Hogan was quite the Little League player. Yes, guitar player too. Um, he, had, he had a background in, in entertainment. Um, I think you guys wanted to talk about this. Michael Mulvihill. Does anybody know who Michael Mulvihill is? Do you know, do you know who he is other than somebody on Twitter? He's a reporter, is. isn't he? For No. No, I don't know him. I, he's someone – you're right. I just see him as a Twitter personality. He's like a – I don't know if he's an EVP or a VP of, of research for Fox. For, I think for maybe for Fox Sports, but for, he works for Fox. Mm-hmm. Um, but he tweets a lot of Nielsen data facts and things like that, but not a reporter. Um, so he says – he puts out the question. Per Nielsen data, what was the most watched scripted entertainment show of 2022 on linear and streaming combined – Based on total watch time in the United States, this is in reference to a report that Stranger Things is the most streamed show of 2022. But what's really the most watched show of 2022? I pulled out my spreadsheets. I got into the the ratings Ryan slash spoiler TV reruns because I knew it had to be a rerun, right? That that just plays endlessly on TV. Um, but Yellowstone did come to mind. I kind of tried to look into Yellowstone. But it's not like Yellowstone is playing all the time. They do get a lot of really strong live same-day viewership, and they do have some reruns, but it's not a ton. Um, as far as the reruns that make the top 200 weekly list, it's led by, yep, the Big Bang Theory, but also friends. So that was that was my guess was friends, but but I was wrong. It's not friends. S- some, something uh, even more surprising. Acknowledge Sheldon Cooper. Acknowledge him. Is it Sheldon? Is Sheldon the correct answer? Yeah. No, it is Gunsmoke. Gunsmoke, the TV series that aired, I believe, from 1955 to 1975, according to Michael Mulhill, aired. Over 3,000 times across multiple networks. I don't believe it's in any of my rerun data that I, that I scraped from Spoiler TV. Uh, and, and it amassed 113 billion minutes of watch time. Um, he, he does mention that Friends was number two. But uh, just to. I can't uh, think of a cable network that that's even on. Like it would be on one of those like throwback TV skeptical. things. I'm like skeptical. <laughs> It'd be on. So, so it would perhaps be on TV land. Which is what I associate with. Yeah. First of all, I acknowledge Marshall Matt Dillon as is that, is that the main character. Yeah, uh, and um, I mean, I, you know what? I bet it's on a lot of. I bet it's on a lot of those my TV. Yeah, yeah throwback, syndicated. Yeah, like those local syndicated. They're in a lot of homes, right? There's so channels in, between the channels. When, you, when you're yes, two point two, two point four. A lot yeah. of channels that Wow is probably on. That this is that Gunsmoke is on. Um, and the olds watch the most TV particularly retired people watch most television. Um, and obviously this is a show that would appeal to a very wide demographic of older people because the length of the show that it was on, it was on from 1958 to the 1970s. So it's a part of a lot of different childhoods. Um, and there's a million episodes, so you can just keep watching them and watching them and watching them and not see repeats all the time. Uh, it's, 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 it's interesting statistical anomaly, I guess, when we talk, when, when it comes to talk about like, what is capturing our culture? What is capturing our pop culture versus what are people actually viewing? Um, yeah. And I wanted to point out, we're on the subject of, of old people watching TV. Um, and I'm, I'm searching for it right now to get the exact number, but the, the playoff games, the NFL playoff games that aired last week, sorry to bring up a, a sore subject call, but the, 
the average age of, of the NFL viewer last week, which I imagine is just an example of what's normal. Here it is. The me- this is according to Sports TV Ratings, at Sports TV Ratings on Twitter. The median – so women love football too, yada, yada. The gender split was this. The median age I – don't, I don't know if this is one, one of the game or the other, but I imagine this is representative. The median age for, for NFL last week was 53.4. 53. 53.4. Uh, so even the stuff that is the most watched on all of traditional TV, NFL games, has, it has a median age in the 50s. That tells me that, okay, just TV in general is, is being watched with a median age of somewhere around that number. So when we look at these media and, and pe- people lose their minds – when I when I post these charts that show like the median age of, of wrestling TV programs, and some of them tend to be older, like NXT and Impact and New Japan, getting into the 60s. I mean, we were just looking at at the table a moment ago, showing New Japan and Impact has a median age in the high 50s. In the 60s, it, it tops out at 65 and just stops for some reason. Um, and it's hard to wrap your head around, but I think that's just just the state of traditional TV viewership is that it is very very old. Um, hard to imagine half of the people watching New Japan over the age of 65. That's hard for me to imagine, but that's what it measures at. And, and it's not like the NFL is being watched with a median age of 35 or something like that. Um, so just something to keep in mind here. And we have a few questions. If you, if you want to put it, put your own question and we will take it, uh, in a moment. Um, we have, uh, have you heard about the, the, the coming lineups for uh, WWE on A&E? Has anybody heard about that yet? No, I have not. I haven't seen it posted anywhere. I know anywhere. they did a new tre- treasures, but that's it. So uh, starting on April 9th, and I don't think this has been reported elsewhere at this time, but uh, there will be a six-episode run of WWE Legends biography. I think there, there, was a, there was a promo that I saw last night on, uh, during the Royal Rumble with Steve Austin featured – and he was uh, putting over Sun- Superstar Sundays coming soon to A&E, of course. They've already done a couple seasons of biography, the Legends biography. Um, but A&E will be again airing a new program starring Stone Cold Steve Austin, which at the moment is titled Steve- Stone Cold Takes on America, which will have a 10-week run. That will begin on April 9th. That will follow, I believe, a six-week run of biography episodes on W Legends including the likes of Dusty Rhodes and the Iron Sheik, China, and, and people of that nature. Uh, so Stone Cold Takes on America will have a 10-week run beginning April 9th. That is the Sunday after WrestleMania weekend. Um, so there's that. That is, that is new news. And if, if, the, if the news aggregators w- would listen to WrestleNomics, they would, they would now know some new information that they could perhaps report. Um, but anyway, uh, maybe there are other podcasts to listen to instead. Uh, I think we're all all done. We can go to super chats if, if there if there are any. I think there's a couple. Yeah, we just Urka just sent us a super sticker, so thank you, Urka, for that. And then we have a super chat, more of a comment from Bob the Builder. Uh, Cody entered the John Cena space in the scrum. His words, cadence, and poise walk the impossible line between cheerleading and talking credibly. Yeah, I thought he came off very well. I would say he came off more authentic than John Cena comes off. I would say. Yeah, I think John Cena often comes across like for John Cena, who's an extraordinarily charismatic person, like on camera, I always found him kind of very boring in these kind of settings. Um, Cody's a worker. Cody knows how to how to use words and he knows how to talk. That's for sure. Not not sure what his opinions are on on Taiwan, but but nonetheless, 
I think he did very well. Uh, anything to plug? Um, no, I mean, the Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast, my podcast, we just had a new episode that came out on Friday. You can find that right on YouTube. Um, you can also go to my Twitter to find it out. I did a Q&A. I got about a dozen questions from people asking a lot of questions about AEW and Warner Brothers Discovery, a lot of questions about uh, Ring of Honor, a lot of questions about like New Japan and AEW's working relationship. I went over those. So that's on the Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast. You can find that right on YouTube. Okay. Golo, anything to plug? Golo's living a different timeline. Okay. Thanks to everybody for listening and subscribing, uh, if, if you do subscribe. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll be back. There'll be a podcast in your feed on Tuesday with our interview with Abraham Reisman, the author of, of Ringmaster, of course. And uh, that, that interview will be with John Pollock and me. And uh, we'll be back on Thursday for subscribers with a WrestleOnix. Actually, no, we won't be probably because there's an earnings call. So that's what's happening here. Yeah. Tuesday, there'll be a podcast in your podcast feed with Abraham Reisman. Thursday, there'll be an earnings call. So I don't expect unless there's some huge news coming out of the earnings call, which I doubt there will be. I'll, I'll be doing that on Thursday evening. And then on Friday, John Pollock and I will do a talk about the earnings call that will be in your WrestleNomics feed and your post-wrestling feed. So look for all that coming soon. Thanks, um, everybody. For- we got a last-minute super chat real quick. Uh, Delmar Abdi, last-minute super chat right in the buzzer. Wild prediction on the SmackDown demo over under – 0.7. Um, it's a simple math problem. So I guess if, if I think it's going to do 2.6 million viewers, then I think the demo is probably going to account for about a third of that. So 884,000 viewers in the demo. Now, if you divide, you know, you got to get the ratings. So you got to divide that by, by the, the universe estimate. And, uh, and I don't know what I'm looking at here. Uh, eight, 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 four divided by this is that is six, seven. So under, under about a 0.68 for the demo is what I expect. 0.68, so that's less than 0.7. Under, okay. Thank, thank you for the very specific. I, I, I also think under. Okay, thank you for the very specific demo question, Delmar. Always appreciate it. Talk to you next time. Bye. <laughs>